What was the question? I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to say. Just, wait. I don't want to respond. The, uh, all I, I can say is, whew, good thing women don't have the priesthood in our faith, because you would be a handful <laughs> in the quorum of the twelve. <laughs> oh! Oh! I would challenge anybody to show any place that God ever commanded polygamy. Look, you're a progma. You're a filthy progma. And you're about to make half your Relief Society go inactive. Okay. We can't prove to someone else what Joseph Smith did. But what we can prove is that God never, ever commanded, ordained, or even allowed polygamy. In the list of patriarchs, there are some notable ones you skipped, right? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of whom were polygamists, right? Yeah. Are you saying Abraham was not a polygamist? Because if not, what's this all been for? What new has come to the table that makes me think that this isn't a, quote, recycled RLDS accusation against the church? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Midnight Mormons. I am your host, Cardinalis, and today I'm joined in the studio by Kwaku L and Brad Whitbeck, as well as via the interwebs with Michelle Stone, who's got a very audacious claim that Joseph Smith was indeed not a polygamist that uh actually i'm not gonna put words in your mouth you can just Don't take it away <laughs> you can just take it away and you can go michelle hot mom stone from holiday utah miss salt lake city oh Don't, sorry. don't slander her with holiday highland <laughs> miss salt lake How city you? 2002 go <laughs> okay hi what am i going with uh, just tell us about yourself and your podcast and your claims here. Did I get to represent you right? You say Joseph Smith was not a polygamist is what you've come up with your personal study. So, so I'm up to episode 35 so far, just about to release episode 36. And we actually have do not cover that topic. So I'll start there. I'll just tell you why. Really oh, fast. So I totally botched the intro. You totally. That's okay. You got a lot of it. You got my name right. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Nice. So, okay. Um, okay. So, my here's the thing Joseph Smith, all of the information about Joseph Smith is a complete mess. And so, we can't know. Uh, like, like with Joseph Smith, the information is so convoluted. And so, second, third hand, decades later, it's just a mess. So, the best we can do is bring to it our own discernment. So, everyone's opinion on Joseph Smith is going to be what it is. So, what I really focus on is God is the scriptures and the theology and we can discern whether or not polygamy is of God and then wherever we fall on jo wherever you fall on Joseph Smith because Joseph Smith was a man and he made mistakes so if he did to some extent fall into polygamy I'll, I will say this for certain whatever Joseph Smith may or may not have been doing bore almost no resemblance to what Brigham Young and others were doing so we know that Okay. For sure. But Wait, if I, whatever I, Joseph Smith may or may not have done. Can I dive into that a little bit? What do you, what exactly yeah. do you mean by like pairs no well, resemblance to Okay, okay, okay. Oh, see, there's a mom of 13 kids. She knows how to <laughs> shut up the loud one at the table. Let me finish, honey. <laughs> okay, keep going, keep going. I will put you on the repentance stairs if I need to. So, okay. <laughs> repentance stairs. <laughs> repentance stairs. That's fun. I, I think I'll have to take notes. <laughs> okay, keep but, going. So, I yes, parenting questions. I am a fountain of wisdom. But, nice. um, just kidding. But, um, so anyway, what I was saying was that 
Joseph Smith could have been mistaken or not. And that doesn't matter because he was a man who was flawed and made many mistakes. How many times is he called to repentance in the Doctrine and Covenants? Yeah. We know he wasn't perfect, and we don't have to believe that he was. Okay, so, so you're... the real question is, mm. what does God teach? What do the Scriptures teach? What does God establish? And that's where we go to find truth. And then everyone else, you know, let all the pieces fall where they may. So more accurately, your position would be that we don't necessarily know whether Joseph Smith practiced polygamy or not. What we do know is what God has to say about marriage. And you exactly. believe that you have the right way to interpret God's law on marriage through yes, personal yes. study. We yeah. can't, I would say, not necessarily we can't know what Joseph Smith did because a lot of people feel like they do know one way or the other. What oh. I would say is we can't prove. Okay. We can't prove to someone else what Joseph Smith did. But what we can prove is that God never ever commanded, ordained, or even allowed polygamy. It is universally condemned and forbidden, mm. prohibited by God. Okay, so that's, that's so, I mean, that, that makes, that raises some immediate questions in my mind, but I'm sure for you, well, Carter, I was well, going to yeah. say, okay, so that's the soundbite that's the intro yeah. about where you immediately split from the mainstream. And by the way, we love people that split from the mainstream, super fun interviews. And, you know, oftentimes they're extremely learned in the scriptures because they didn't get their theories out of nowhere. Okay. And we've interviewed a lot of people from these like break off and splinter movements. I'm not saying you're part of them, but there's this definite growing trend of people that have two very similar theses here. Okay. That Joseph Smith was never a polygamist and they kind of shove it on Brigham Young. Okay. And also that like the, the, the church was under some kind of condemnation having lost the, uh, the, the priesthood in Nauvoo and so on and so forth it is another one. Again, I'm not saying you espouse these ideas exactly, but there's definitely a lot of these movements that seem to be gaining traction and they're making movies and we're interviewing people that are part of them and so on and so forth. However, a criticism that I have, I've heard of it um, that I've kind of wondered is from whence does this come? I get the polygamy is controversial and it's kind of like this monkey that's been on the back of Mormonism since its inception that I'm sure everybody would love to just get off of it. So we fit in with everybody else. Um, so somebody asked me, they said, my only problem with some of these new movements is they seem to have a thin veneer of academia and study that conveniently takes the monkeys off of our backs and puts them on to Brigham Young. You know what I'm saying? And we can say, oh, you know, well, Brigham Young was the bad guy. He's the whipping boy. He's the one that bears the burden of all these evil things that we want to just conveniently get rid of. And I'm not sure which is historically, what, what is historical accuracy and what is convenience. So what do you say to the people that are a little bit like looking at your side eye saying like, are these theories just an excuse to get rid of the black spot of polygamy that's kind of been the pop culture uh, punchline for 150 years of our church history? Or is it actually based off of legitimate scientific and historical and sociological inquiry? Okay, that was, a, that was a great big question. So let me just break down a couple of pieces of it. Uh -huh. First, I'm mainstream LDS. I'm not affiliated with or in any other groups or... Dang, you, you know, wanted a weirdo. Okay, look, somebody called oh, the weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> aren't, all weirdos? aren't all Mormons weirdos? I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I mean, we're Mormon. pretty peculiar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're all weirdos, but um, but Wait. so I'm just mainstream LDS. Um, I do. Well, what do you well, do during well, the temple recommend question? It's like, okay, do you uphold all the prophets? You're like, yeah, except for Brigham Young did all this stuff wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
No, no, because I don't look at it that way because I don't think that like, like I'll say this, I know God and I receive revelation from God and I receive direction from God. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means that mm. God can use me despite my weaknesses. And when I serve, say, as the primary president, I'm the only one that has keys to my primary closet, right? Like, mm -hmm. like that's my stewardship. That does not mean that I am the one that everyone should look to in the primary for all revelation, right? I believe that God can use each of us, use our weaknesses use our strengths and deal with our weaknesses and it all works together to bring forth all of the um all of the prophecies in the book of mormon and the doctrine and covenants and the book of isaiah like it's all there and i think that for i guess for me one of the problems is that we build pedestals we really like to put people on pedestals and we like to assume that people in certain callings are different than we are and have mm -hmm. some special access that we don't all have mm-hmm and 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 I think that that's actually why faith is so fragile. I think that's the sandy foundation spoken of in Second Nephi twenty eight and twenty nine is okay. is that we overbelieve and that leaves and, us vulnerable to having up, that house of cards fall down. Yeah, we end up relying on people rather than relying on our direct revelation from God. Yes, I can see that. Yeah, I, can I can I pause for one sec because I feel yeah. bad because I feel like I put Quaco in a corner and now he's really quiet and yeah. I never asked no him no you didn't no, no uh, he's you just silenced Quaco <laughs> no I uh, sorry, no no I I just want to know like um uh if so your main from LDS like I mean that kind of answers the question but I know that there is even in, in our church a you know more of a I'm not gonna say an offshoot because that's not fair but more of a school of thought in our church that Brigham Young was like was a prophet but also okay, so, it wasn't it kind of like joseph smith john taylor and actually it's more like joseph smith joseph f smith and then they keep going you know, they kind of like jump a couple so i kind of want to know your opinion like was brigham young do you think he was the guy do you think he was not the guy because yeah you know well and before you go any further i just want to know i just want to know in one sentence this is the marketing guy the film marketing guy coming me out if I had to put your views in one sentence, you're saying that your study and historical inquiry has revealed that knowledge about Joseph Smith's marriage history is murky enough that you believe it's completely plausible that he did not indeed practice polygamy, that God never endorsed polygamy, and that it was kind of the theories of men mingled with scripture and that first man that mingled with scripture was Brigham Young. Is that, is that a fair analysis of kind of where you're going with this? Okay. Again, these are really big questions. Like I want to interrupt and answer each, each bit of yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Time, answer right? my question first and then Cardin, cause I agree okay. with Cardin right there. I think there's enough murky stuff where you're not crazy. If you believe Joe Smith was not a polygamist, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that, but I'm not saying those you think, but yes, put you kindly answer my question yeah <laughs> okay so i don't think i don't think that we can logically say brigham young like like we have this line of succession except for brigham young it doesn't work right i so so i will say um this is a tricky question let's see so you're not I starting think, your own religion or an offshoot you're not a cult leader no no, I well, you not. should. You're in the next, pretty. In the next few minutes, you could be the next Elizabeth Clare prophet and have your own compound in Northern Utah. 
Like you're missing out. I, Montana. You know what? <laughs> I already have enough children, but I do not want to <laughs> take care of anybody else. <laughs> okay, nice. so keep going. Sorry, yeah. we interrupted you. Keep going. So I think that we each have full access to God and that we're not as dependent on others or even on institutions as we have been taught. This is my thinking right now. You know, mm -hmm. I think that the church is a beautiful vehicle to come to know God. I, I know that God is present in our church and can be found in our church, mm -hmm. but I don't know that. Um, I, in my personal opinion, I really struggle with the teaching that the prophet can never lead us astray. And strangely, guess where that came from? Polygamy. That came straight out of polygamy. I can tell you exactly where we got that teaching. Polygamy mm. caused so many problems that we're still dealing with and we're filled with false traditions so, that have been handed down, just like the Book of Mormon warns us of. So it talks about the scales of darkness beginning to fall from our eyes as we learn more and more. And us, it's like, oh, I should have looked up the scripture, Third Nephi somewhere, maybe Third Nephi 23, uh, someone can get it right. But where it talks about how if we are only given this portion to try our faith. And if we will believe this, then will more be given to us, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't even believe what the Book of Mormon says because of all, all scripture condemns polygamy, but no book of scripture condemns polygamy as consistently and solidly, as, as unquestionably as the Book of Mormon does. And yet we ignore it and take it out of context and explain it away and pretend it says the opposite of what it says. So we can't, like, we're, we're and it does say we're under condemnation for doing that. So, so I think that if we pay more attention to the Book of Mormon and less tradition to the tradition, less attention to the traditions of our fathers, we'll be in a lot better place. So there's one thing that I wanted to address from the very beginning of what you started saying, where you started talking about how you believe that we can come to know God, um, that the church is maybe not as necessary as we've sometimes been led to believe. Um, I, I wanted to just check and test where you're at with like that. I just want to clarify that a little. I just yeah. want to be careful with so, that wording, so, but go ahead. Yeah. So my question for you is, um, so then do you believe that the restoration was necessary and that priesthood ordinances have been restored? Like that that's a valid thing and that the church serves a purpose? Or are you saying that it's all just revelation? Because, I mean, there's a balance to that, right? Um, right. And so I'm just curious, where are you saying that balance should be? Maybe this is the easiest way to answer. I have struggled with different issues over time. I've had mm -hmm. sometimes really hard, I, I have different episodes that talk about different parts of my struggles with the church over time with some, I would say, unrighteous dominion among leaders, some, you know, even ecclesiastical abuse and some different things. Mm. And then, you know, I have gay children. And mm -hmm. then I, you know, 2020 was a hard year for our family in particular and with the church. Like I have had my struggles with the church consistently every single time that I have really gotten to that place of asking God, should I stay or should I go? I have consistently always been told to stay. And I've always been told how to stay and why to stay. And even though at times it's been hard, I have always been profoundly thankful that I have that I have had that answer and that I've stayed. We have my my 18 year old is waiting for his mission call right now, and I wouldn't oh. trade that for the world. And so That's awesome. I um I really I guess I could say I love the church. I hate some of the things that our leaders do. But more and more, my feeling has been, this is my church too, and I'm not going to give it over. Like, 
you know, it's like, it's not just their church. It's my church. It's our church. And, um, and someone else doesn't have the power to take it away from me or take me away from it. If God wants me to stay. And so I am, I, I guess I don't get into as like, like my study hasn't been as much into, um, I, 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 let me say this. I have a profound testimony of the gospel and I have a testimony of the church. I just think we all think we know a lot more yeah. than we actually know. Because it sounds to me like you're saying, hey, we That's need fair. to really take the Book of Mormon seriously, which to me suggests you take the restoration very seriously as well, right? If you're mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. the Book of Mormon as the basis of what your theory has come to be, right? Or hypothesis. I don't know. I, I don't want to discredit it by calling it a theory. Yeah, what your beliefs are at. So yeah, I, <laughs> it's always hard to know. Okay, so what, what do you base this? Okay, so now, you know, we're 10 minutes into the podcast. You've clarified your position on what you feel. What's the evidence to back this up? Hit us. Hit okay, us. You made so, some strong so claims. Up. You made some strong claims. You're not going out fighting. This is your church too, man. So boom, boom, boom. You're in that interview and you're about to back up the claims because you just condemned the second prophet of the restoration as a dude that left up polygamy. Look, you're a progmo. You're a filthy progmo. And you're about to (laughs) make half your relief society go inactive. So no, I'm totally just kidding. I'm totally kidding. What are you saying? So so no, just back back this cheese up. What'd you come up with and what made you feel this way? Okay, so so like ignore everything that Cardin just said. (laughs) So let me let me start out really quickly just with a little bit of um I guess context. So I uh, I was an extremely and still am in most ways an extremely conservative Mormon mom, homeschooling mom, right? Like show me like your I Trump tattoo. Home. Where's your Trump tattoo? What? How is that conservative? Well, then okay. is she? What? No, I'm just kidding. Let me kidding. get, let me get there. Trump is not con- ah, ah, that's not <laughs> oh, politics. She's that level of conservative. conservative in terms of belief. And so I um I actually used to have a really strong testimony of polygamy. I totally believed in polygamy. In fact, I I, I taught for many years and still sometimes due to um homeschooling communities. There's uh you know, a, I gave us a lecture probably 15 years ago called Celestial Education. And in it, I talk about polygamy being the law of Zion. Like I really genuinely believed that. And then um, I talked about this in my first in my first episode, but my husband one day came in to talk to me. He was like, I don't think polygamy was ever of God. And I was like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Of course it is. Right. And then and he kind of pushed back on me and I and I was like, okay, clearly I need to teach him something. You know, you know, I start so I went and started studying to show my husband that polygamy was absolutely of God. I was raised, my grandmother is the oldest daughter of post-manifesto polygamists. I was raised on all of the beautiful polygamy stories. I was totally I, I totally believed in polygamy and um, thought it was a shame that we couldn't live the higher laws of God. So that's where I was most of my life. When my husband said that and I went to work to prove him wrong is when I started having my mind blown and was like, holy cow, I am so naive. I am so ignorant about what the scriptures actually say. I am so ignorant about anything about this supposed doctrine. And it threw me for a complete loop so much that I was going crazy because there's no one to talk to. So I started a Facebook group to try to talk about it, like, like, help me. And so that's, that's my path and my story. I'll start with, there are so many things to talk that, that we could go with, but let me say this first. I would challenge anybody 
to show any place that God ever commanded polygamy, ever. God consistently established his, um, what should I say, established families with the command to multiply and, right, um, to multiply and replenish the earth. Mm -hmm. He established Adam and Eve, and then there was Noah and his wife, and Noah's sons and his wife, their wives. There was Lehi and Sariah and all of their children with their one wife. And they, by the way, were given the commandment that, like, they should not have multiple wives, have wives and concubines. Every single time God established perfectly, and then it's later on down the road that I guess we can say contamination comes in, that things get corrupted in this corrupt and fallen world. So I'll start hitting you with a couple of things, unless you have a question. Uh, no. I guess you're you're oh. kind of leading towards it. I, I One of my questions that I have as you're going through listing, I mean, we are part of the Abrahamic covenant, right? And in the list of patriarchs, there are some notable ones you skipped, right? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of whom were polygamists, right? So, okay, so do you know what you just did right there? What? You just made the same factual mistake that Doctrine and Covenants 132 makes in the very first verse. There is, like, Isaac was never a polygamist in any way. Right there. He married Abraham, Leah and Rachel? That was Jacob. Oh, sorry, yeah. Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah. And that's it. No other wives, no other children. I have an episode on each of these patriarchs. So I will say this with Abraham. Are we, are we getting caught red handed, not knowing our patriarchy? Oh, you know what I said? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I promise you I've studied this. So, uh -huh. yeah, bring it on. Bring yeah. it on. So, um, well, OK, so many things to go through. So I don't even know where to start. So do you want me to answer the Abraham question first or should I go somewhere else? You'll first? Go, Abraham, like, I want to know because you yeah. are you saying Abraham was not a polygamist? Because if not, what's this all been for? I'm kidding. <laughs> I, okay, you have to watch the episode on Abraham. So, yeah, so I, I have, so the podcast is called 132 Problems, right? Because section 132, which by the way, was not in the original Doctrine and Covenants, was not added to the Doctrine and Covenants until the year after Brigham Young died, was not even revealed to the church until 1852 after they had been in Salt Lake for a long time. And before that was the original, Original section 101, which was the one written and added during Joseph Smith's life with Joseph Smith's approval, that it explicitly says we, man should have only one wife. So that's a good thing to know right from the start. And then 132, I have a lot of sections, a lot of episodes on it. It makes multiple factual errors, is filled with um, contradictions, internal contradictions. And there are parts of 132 that I that talk about um, eternal marriage and eternal progression as a couple, those are universally man and wife done in monogamy. The only verses that include things about polygamy are horrible verses that treat women completely as property with no feelings. It doesn't matter anything about them. Property that will be taken and given willy-nilly, just like Warren Jeffs does, and that threatens them with destruction if they are not completely 100% obedient to their husband with absolutely no opinions of their own. So if you want a model of what 132 actually is, look to the FLDS or the Kingstons. They're doing it just like was taught. Hmm. So, sorry, I went off a little. What was the question? I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't want to say, just, wait, I don't want to respond. The, uh, all I, I can say is, <laughs> whew, good thing women don't have the priesthood in our faith because you would be a handful <laughs> in the quorum of the 12. <laughs> oh! Oh! 
said it. We said it. <laughs> no, okay. Can I say this though? What's interesting here is when I juxtapose this um, with uh, uh, Jacob Isbell mm-hmm. when he was on the show. Um, you and Jacob Isbell got is he heated. The guy? Is yeah, he the beard guy? Yeah, the long bearded guy. Yeah. Brad and Jacob Isbell got heated, but she's able to communicate it without you getting heated, I think. Yeah, I want to get she's baptized. Got raise all those kids so she knows all the tricks. She knew all the tricks to be able to rant. No, and, and the without thing, their people. Jedi mind tricks yeah, of the mother of the, 13. She has mom what magic, which is a new thing. And her rant is not directed at me. It's directed <laughs> at her, like, thing that she's talking and about. And she right? offered us cookies. Yeah. She offered us cookies. No, I honestly just want to listen. Yeah, no, keep going. Like, I, we're yeah, all intrigued I, I, and I, loving I, this. Yeah, no, I'm totally intrigued so, to hear, like, so, so the patriarchs. Yeah, I'm sorry if I rant. There is just so much, so, so, so much. And see, it's not about argumentation style. It's not sophistry. It's truth. When there's truth, it like who who was the Dr. Malone that said truth doesn't need to be defended. Let it. It's like a lion. Let it loose and it will defend itself. Those Robert right? Malone. As, you know. Yeah. Oh, right. I, I understand the rants when I when people bring up lizard people. I'm like. Do you have an hour? You know what I mean. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. So um. Well, yeah. No. So you're 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 presenting your evidence and you're going through your evidence Abraham. of this claim. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's with say Abraham. Abraham really quickly, yeah. and then I'll go to a couple of other. Yeah. Schools. You've got like so thirty it, minutes before we call your stake president and get you excommunicated. So um, no, I'm trying to. I'm totally kidding. It's a joke. My stake president is wonderful. So I hope that yeah. wouldn't happen. Well, we'll but, get him um, replaced. So um, no. you know what? I'm sorry. That would be a loss for my family, but it'd also be a loss for the church. I'm a good member. <laughs> Totally kidding. We have no sway with these people. (laughs) Are you kidding? We're probably on their radar. So anyway, keep going. This is intriguing. Like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm blown away and I just want to hear more. I want to lap it up. Keep going. Okay. So Abraham, God made all of these promises to Abraham and Sarah, right? They were not able to have children, but God promised them children. And if you read the actual scriptures, Sarah, and, and and I actually, I don't want to blame anyone. I have so much compassion for all of these people. I hope people will listen to the episode on Abraham. Um, Sarah was the actually the one that said, that said, take my handmaid Hagar, that she may have children for me. Hagar was used as a surrogate mother. Hagar was a slave that they picked up when they were in Egypt, probably part of the gift that was given by the Pharaoh when he married Sarah. Sarah was actually the first one to have two spouses. They left Egypt and had slaves. So just just a couple of things, like our best claim for why polygamy is of God is because Abraham did it, right? Like that's what, that's their biggest argument. Well, Abraham also had slaves and- No, but isn't the best claim modern revelation and the biggest justification She said it's not modern revelation. So that's why- Even the beginning- Even the beginning of section 132 says, you have asked me how I justified my servants, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also David and Solomon. So it's asking why were they justified in doing this? You might as well ask why they were justified in slavery, right? And it says in having many wives and concubines. So we'll get there. So Hagar was a concubine, which basically means slave wife. So we're talking, so Hagar was not actually a wife other than in the sense that she needed to be impregnated. She was a surrogate. The, the child, if you read the wording, would not be Hagar's. She would be Sarah's. 
the child, I mean, the child would be Sarah. Uh, and so you're, so you're and, 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 and juxtaposing that with polygamy, it's it's a man with many wives and all those are wives. There's no well, concubine. No, so, so I guess what I'm saying is let, like, like 132, which I think is very suspect, claims that God commanded Abraham and, and therefore Sarah gave, claims that the command came from God. Not at all the case. Sarah said, take my servant, my handmaid Hagar, that she can have a baby for us, for me. And then, and then finally, so they do. But Hagar is not a wife in any real sense. She's still a slave. Every single time um, Abraham defers to Sarah and lets Sarah beat her, lets, and then kicks them out. So I guess if we're going to use Abraham as like the example of polygamy, he and and I I don't want this to sound judgmental. It's hard to like please go watch the episode on Abraham mm-hmm. because I don't want to sound judgmental of them. But he abandoned Hagar and Ishmael to you know God God told told them to. But so if we're claiming him as the example of slavery, what we're saying is have a slave who has no bodily autonomy, right? Impregnate her, claim the baby as your own until you have your own baby and no longer need her baby, and then leave her out in the wilderness to die. Is that a model husband? Is that a godly husband? We also know from the Book of Mormon, and well, from the Bible and the, from all the scriptures, that Hagar and Ishmael were not included in the covenant. So we can't say that there's this covenant of Abraham. And also, it's just every like like there's so many things to this that it, this isn't the best place to go right now because it's so there's so much to try to explain. No, that's why but you're here. Keep going. Right. I just I kind of want to explain other things, too. Okay. Like they constantly claim that the that the promise of Abraham is that he would have children like the sands of the sea or like the stars of heaven. And and we clearly can't do that with one wife is what these men always said. But the fact is that promise was made to Abraham with his one wife, Sarah, and their one child. Yeah. And you've proved them wrong. You got 13 kids. Man, (laughs) you don't need freaking five wives to pump out 13 kids. You just need one (laughs) solid Michelle Stone. You know what I say? Like, boom. We don't need more wives. We need more Michelle Stone. That's what Jesus was referring to when he said, out of these rocks, I can raise up more children to Abraham. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Um, But, okay. So, So, okay. So, okay. So, so, and then. Isaac and his, he had twin boys, right? But only one of them was in the covenant, right? He had um, Jacob and Esau. what was Jacob's twin brother's name? Esau. I'm trying to blink. But Can you hear us? Anyway, Esau. Esau, Esau yeah. yeah. But it, the covenant just went through those one, and it wasn't until Jacob that we finally have a case of legit polygamy that was that was in the covenant. However, again, what was the cause of Jacob's polygamy? Did God command it? No, it was Jacob's was super corrupt father-in-law, Laban, mm-hmm. who dishonestly tricked him into taking two wives. And then those poor girls, because Rachel was loved, but Leah was fruitful. Rachel was loved, but couldn't have children. Leah had children, but wasn't loved. And their way to try to gain, I guess, both power and love from their husband was to have children. So really, they each brought brought their handmaid into it, which was, again, sex slavery, just like Hagar. And I, I call that like the weapon of mass reproduction is what those the, those mm. um, handmaids were, because they were trying to outdo each other to have more children than the other so that they could be more highly favored in Jacob's eyes. So you're, you're so saying Jacob, Old Testament polygamy was more like uh, surrogacy now, but because they didn't have any of the medical technology that we have, they would just have to sleep with these other women. 
Well, well, it was a combination. It was slavery. So if we want mm. to claim, so so the thing that's concerning is like one one thirty two came out in in eighteen fifty two, which was when slavery was happening and when slavery had come to Utah. And if we allow concubines, what does that mean? Sex slaves, slaves you're allowed to have sex with, and God commanded it. Do we think that's a good idea? Do we want that in our world? That's what Hagar and Bilhah and Zilpah were. They were slaves who their masters had sexual access to. And so you think that Zilpah and Bilhah's children only got part of the covenant because they were part of Leah and Rachel's... for those details, I would refer you to the episode. Okay, I okay, did sorry. I, I'm maybe well. getting to but the details. But I will details. say this. Yeah. I will say that, um, wait, there was a point I was going to make, and I just lost it, and it was important. Sorry. So I have to get back. Um, let's see. Oh, well, the point I was going to make is that Abraham and Jacob are best described as victims of polygamy. Neither mm. one of them ever wanted it ever sought it, ever chose it. And I think the reasons, because they're the only two that aren't condemned. The Book of Mormon strongly condemns David and Solomon and others for their polygamy. Abraham and um, Jacob are very distinctly not condemned. And for me, and this is my own personal answer to prayer and pondering, you know, so I'm not claiming that I can prove this, but I will offer it up. They were the only two that never exercised unrighteous dominion. Both of them consistently, repeatedly defer to their wives. Like Jacob is used as a, as a tool, like, like um, Leah has to buy a night with Jacob from Rachel with the, oh, what's the, what's the mugwort, the, whatever the plant she finds. I can't remember the name yeah. of it right now. And, and they come home and Jacob is just told where to go, who to have sex with. No, now you have sex with my servant because I want to have another child and outdo my sister. No, you go there. No, you go there. He sometimes loses, he on occasion loses patience because he's like, ah, so he was a victim of slavery who never saw it as a way of aggrandizing himself in any way and never exerted dominion over his wives. Or And, and absolutely the same thing with Abraham. Abraham consistently, repeatedly deferred to Sarah. He deferred to Sarah when she said, take my handmaid. He deferred to Sarah when she said, kick them out. He deferred to Sarah when he said, when she said, I want to beat my servant. And he said, go ahead or treat her harshly, whatever, whatever, however we want to define that. Yeah. So I think that if we consider Doctrine and Covenants 121, where unrighteous dominion is what makes you lose priesthood, which brings you under condemnation. The only, the only polygamists I know of that never exerted that to any extent were Abraham and Jacob. Okay, so first off, do you guys have any other questions here? Because this is crazy. You're like your knowledge is is, is she knows is, a yeah, lot. Like it's. Um, well, I'm almost afraid to say anything because it's like no, I actually have a commentary. I, I think uh, I am curious about Ketera, but we can get into that some other time. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting because. And then I got a question, Quake. So. You know, when 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 Hagar and you know Ishmael are banished into the desert to die. Um, when you jump over to our buddies in the Middle East, that's where their faith starts when they were actually preserved. And then Islam, that I mean, that's, ge- that's the genesis of, of Islam, that, yeah. mm-hmm. which is pro-polygamy. Yeah, By that's and large, one heck of a prenup. Okay with polygamy. <laughs> you violate this, you're out in the desert to die. But, <laughs> you know what I'm okay. saying? So I do Can think I just add something on that really quickly? We're told often that by their fruit, she shall know them. And I would challenge anyone to point to any good fruits of polygamy. 
Like we are still well, suffering actually, from the battle polygamy with Isaac and Ishmael, right? That battle is still raging. Well, well now that you, now that you open that up, like this is the only thing I want to say is is I admit polygamy is not my subject of choice and historical inquiry and all that stuff. I I still haven't gotten through all the the muskets and guns that the original Jonathan Browning dad made. All right, you know that's I'm still studying Orrin Porter Rockwell and his BA-ness, All right, when I get around to uh, to polygamy, I'll probably call you up. However, as my mind has wandered through this part of our history. Uh, I have read quite a lot actually about polygamy and that whole era and things like that. And something that's come to my mind is I am reluctant to engage in what I perceive as a presentist accusation against my ancestors and my forefathers for something I did not live through. And it seems like one of those positive fruits you say that by which you shall know them is that we survived. And I know the utilitarian arguments of things aren't always the most philosophically or morally accurate, but with how badly the U.S. government, the mobs, the anti-Mormons, and and uh, the warring tribes that hated us, there was tribes that uh, got along with us, but there's also warring tribes that hated us. Yeah, uh, sure. Between yep. indigenous people, our own people, governments that hated us, and mobs that hated us, we were literally getting extermination orders put against us and mobs <laughs> shooting us. There was a battle of Nauvoo that most people don't even realize happened in which the mob showed up with mortars. They were killing us faster than we could, dare I say, breed. And as a pest control person, it's like, you know, the breeds that survive a lot of these mass extinction events are the ones that have a million eggs, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I hate to use the utilitarian argument, but it's like, had we not had a ton of children in a very short period of time by the ones chosen to be responsible for them, we're not talking un uh, you know, unfettered uh, 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 hedonism here, but like the responsible and wealthy ones being assigned more children. I, I look at it and I think, gosh, you know, you say by your fruits, you shall know them. Show me a good fruit of polygamy. And in my mind, I, I you know, I'd hate to see somebody clip this and use it against me, but I kind of think the church survived. Like, is, is that not and, a good and fruit? Also beyond that, Cardin, not just the modern church, but also Jacob's sons. His 12 sons were a good fruit of polygamy. You know, okay. And, so, and so like, I, I think there's, I, I can see where you're coming from with the disharmony me, that me. has come, but also I think there's some good fruits of it that have been there that I don't think should be ignored. Okay. Hit it. So, I can tell you want to get it out of your system. Maybe I, maybe I overstated that in a way that led us down some paths. Let me, let me just sum it up this way. God can always make lemonade out of lemons. God always does that. That doesn't necessarily mean that God inspired the lemons. Right. So, so, um, so I, I, I hate to leave that hanging, but I, but there are some other things I want to address first. Go for that's it. all right. Mm -hmm. And then because the question that you were asking about basically reproduction and numbers, right. To not be, to, to survive as a people. So a couple of things I want to say about that, because where we really should go is Jacob two, um, Jacob chapter two, verse 30, yeah. which is what I, I have. A, that's, I think my second episode. So I, again, I want to tell people to go to, to 132 problems on YouTube. It's getting put up on other things right now. Not, I'm not trying to promote it. I'm trying to say that's where the information is. It's about the information, not about 
okay. promotion in any way, but you can get a lot more information there. But um, so, so Jacob 230 is kind of the loophole, right? It's, it's the one that we can take it out of context to say everything I'm saying here, you get to ignore it because you can take this one verse and say, never mind, I don't really care about the other things I'm saying. Because if I want a lot of babies born, then I'll tell you to ignore all of these commandments that I'm giving to you is basically how it's interpreted. And I'm, I, I have, a, I have a, um, an episode on this that I would refer people to for a better study. Let me say just a couple of things really quickly. Joseph Smith never had a polygamous child. There is, like, that, yeah, even that we can verify, yeah. Even the best, like these strongest cases, which is Josephine, right? Yep. Whose mother told her on her deathbed, we can verify that, that she is she not wasn't. the mm-hmm. child of Joseph Smith. Through DNA. So evidence, yeah. we cannot prove, like if, if we want to look at the proof, the proof would go would lean toward that Joseph did not have children, well, we, with anyone but Emma, which would incline us to believe that Joseph did not practice polygamy in this way, if, you know? And there are all kinds of, I'm sorry, stupid arguments about that Bennett was doing abortions. And I, I'm sorry, if you have had babies and miscarriages and like I have, and you, and like, I'm just throwing that out there going, nope, nope, nope. That's a stupid argument to try to prove the point because it's convenient to everybody to claim that Joseph was a polygamist, no matter how many stupid arguments we need well, to Well, and also now we're, yeah. we're stumbling upon, well, oh. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, now we're stumbling upon. Did we lose her? Did we lose her? Uh-oh. I'm here. Oh. Oh, okay, I'm still cool. here. Oh, that was scary. Yeah. That was super scary because it was so good. So anyway. Um, Are we still recording? Yeah, we're still recording. So now we're stumbling upon another one of these criticisms against these new movements that I've heard that are coming up from the back of my mind. And the power of accusation is strong. So I'm trying to curb it right now, right? By speaking out in the open. Oftentimes I hear a criticism of these modern views of polygamy or modern views of priesthood or whatever as being recycled old RLDS or Strangite accusations. And and for example, Joseph Smith, the third and, and Joseph Smith jr. And all those guys, let me finish. I'm doing the fatherly. Let me finish to the mother of 13. I I just have so much information. So I know you do. I know you do. But, um, there's there, there was a time in which the church had to send like certified letters to testify that indeed Joseph Smith had practiced polygamy and it was a fact and and the RLDS church and and the and, temple lot trials. Yeah, and the yeah. temple lot trials and a lot of these dare I say recycled accusations against the church seem to be coming back and I'm like if this became settled 1870s science that Joseph Smith I shouldn't say settled science. That's that's arrogant. But if this was settled in the 1870s via affidavit from an overwhelming amount of people that it's considered fact, what new has come to the table that makes me think that this isn't a, quote, recycled RLDS accusation against the church? Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, uh, There's so much I want to go into. But again, my focus isn't primarily on Joseph Smith. That's okay. not where my focus is in, in, in the work I'm doing. I'm about to start going there a bit and letting people make their case. But I will say one new thing is um, Brian Hills did do the DNA testing. That's a pretty big thing. And the Temple Lock, well, first of all, the church, the LDS church didn't win the Temple Lock case. 
So it was never settled. Like the church wasn't believed in the Temple Lot case. They didn't win. And all of those affidavits came about in a time when the church was rife with this idea of lying for the Lord. We hold it like these women. I'm about to release my episode on. Well, I have a three part series that I'm doing right now on the testimonies of women and looking at the situations that were going on with women. And, you know, Phoebe Woodruff is just one example. Like if you look at these women's situations um oh again there's so much more information that just putting this out there isn't enough to give you really the the information you need to understand what i'm talking about but these women everything depended on them saying what they needed to say and holding to the party line they were completely utterly dependent and helpless they also were completely um it was a closed society is that modern arrogance though is that modern what? arrogance no, no, trying no, to yeah. disempower historical women? Like Eliza no, Snow doesn't no, strike me as somebody who's if look, powerless. If you look at any group where there is only one voice speaking, you are disempowered and you are told one message from infancy or from whenever you okay, came. Okay, now, but hold on a second. Pause. I would have to push back on that saying if there's any group in which one voice was never the only one speaking. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because I can't think of a more vocal counter group that's constantly screaming than anti-Mormons that have accompanied the church since its very inception. The Salt Lake Tribune, for heaven's sakes, was birthed as an anti-Mormon rag and continues to this day. So it's like, if you want to say that there's a bunch of women who are historically silenced because women didn't have a voice, well, there's plenty of historical women that had great, huge voices in Mormonism that make me think that though there were some cultural norms that led to men speaking more, I don't think it was this suppressed thing. And if you're saying that there was lacking counterpoints by opposing parties, let me tell you, there's never a bigger a mole vocal opposing party to Mormonism than anti-Mormonism. So okay, let me, let me I don't know how to take that. that. Okay. There's, there's, there's again, there's so much more than I can say. But the Relief Society was begun. Oh, someone's going to have to tell me the year because it's not coming to me. I just looked at it. It was in the Nauvoo House, 1851, I think. Within, right within, I think two or three years, it okay, was shut down, and it was yeah, disallowed. It was what it was. Nineteen, yeah, March eighteen forty-two. Because in eighteen forty-four, Brigham Young completely canceled it and forbid it, and told the men not even to let the women talk to one another. I have an episode on this. Shut up, really? And Brigham was, did that? Yeah, the Relief Society was shut down did. for a while. He Ooh, shut it down. Bad move, Brigham. Whoa! If you look for those, like Eliza Snow was the first. Well. Um, Emma Smith was the first president of the Relief Society, but only for two years till Joseph's death. Then it was shut down. Eliza Snow was the first president of the reestablished Relief Society, who actually didn't really live in polygamy. We say she was one of Brigham's wives. She was not living like other polygamous wives. She was not poor. She was not raising a child. I mean, I mean, children with no support. If we look at how these women lived and what the situation really was for them, it's unthinkable. It's unbelievable. Nobody would approve of how polygamy was lived in these early days. So, um, so oh, I have so many things I have to say. But it wasn't until polygamy, I mean, it wasn't until the Relief Society was finally reestablished, I think, 23 years or something after it was in 70, 1870, 1869. It was re um, Brigham wanted them to make straw hats so that they could buy less things around town. That's why it was started. But the women jumped into the fray. They were only allowed to have a voice because they were allowed to have 
the Relief Society again, if I have looked and Eliza Snow published so much, wrote so much, spoke so much, I can't find anything that Eliza Snow said from 1844 when, when the Relief Society was shut down till 1870 when it was reestablished. She is all women were silenced for that time, completely silenced. And when we want to say there was only one voice speaking, Look at look at how we were raised with like stay away from anti-Mormon literature. I know I wouldn't touch anything anti-Mormon with a ten-foot pole, and we had a much more connected society. For yeah, but you were also raised people. in Utah, where the cultural implications thereof were a lot different than members okay. that are raised in other places. I mean, I, I these got... people were in, in Utah starting with 1852 on with no with no other voices. And if you look through the Journal of Discourses, it is. It is intense, the things that they were taught. So I think that we would be hard pressed to say that there were alternate voices speaking. In fact, the the anti-polygamy voices didn't start until, oh, Jenny Anderson Froiseth with the blue tea. And I want to say it was maybe 1878. I think it was 1878 when there was a horrible case that happened because missionaries- Wait, 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 pause, 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 pause. How can you say it wasn't until- the 1870s that these anti-polygamous voices started when the Republican Party in which yes. I served in office was formed yes. and in its charter it said we want to rid the North American continent of its two great evils. The slavery. twin relics of barbarism. The twin mm -hmm. relics of barbarism. Slavery, slavery and polygamy. Is yeah, what yeah. It was. So how can you say, oh, it wasn't until the 1870s when the Republicans that basically politically launched the gravitas yeah. behind the legislative civil war 30 years earlier were putting in their charter that they were anti-polygamists. You can't say that there wasn't I, historical okay. anti-polygamy when there's like charters for political parties that exist to this day getting formed 31 years earlier saying their main goal was to get rid of polygamy. Okay. So, so again, okay. I feel like, I feel like this is going off track, but okay. you're, you're, you're exactly right. This is what I want to say. If we're talking about the influence on these women that were in the church, the influence when, like, look at it, look at it today. When, um, so, so, so the Republican I, I, Party I just, I just want to check way. something with you really fast. Are, are you suggesting every positive, like every single positive testimony of polygamy by a woman was a lie that she was manipulated into? <laughs> So I'm, I'm doing three episodes, a three-part series on that right now, and I want to be really careful there. Yeah. I think that if we are going to believe the traditional, here's the thing, polygamy and lying goes together, period. If you want to believe Joseph Smith was a polygamist, you have to believe he lied about it. And we have Brian Hills loves to, all of the apologists love to say carefully worded denials. That's just a euphemistic way of saying lying. Polygamy and lying always went together. In fact, missionaries, I was just telling this story, the, the famous case that started the new, the, the, the anti-polygamy society in Utah, that was what I was talking mm -hmm. about that started in 78. And it started because a missionary went to England, got engaged to a girl without telling her that she, he was engaged to two other girls at home, brought her home and found out the day she got married that her husband had married another girl earlier that day. She showed up at the wedding reception. She went sobbing to non-Mormons asking for help. That that brought a lot of attention in Utah. So so the the Mormon missionaries often there are cases all over the place that they lied and said no, of course we're not doing polygamy while they brought their new wife home. So a wife, so the missionaries. So oh, there are so many things to go to. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if we want to look at the influences on these women, 
I think mm-hmm. the influences were pretty solidly in the camp of polygamy. And when outside forces would persecute them, we can say persecute by with anti-polygamy writings or whatever, that serves to, um, they, they like in all of the, um, the Great Indignation Meeting was a meeting that the Mormon women held in 1870 when, when a new law was passed. So the whole, oh, there's so many things, sorry. During the whole Civil War, any focus on polygamy completely stopped, right? Because the Civil War was going on. So that's kind of what I was talking about. They, Mormons were completely left alone during that entire time. But as soon as it was over, then focus started to come back on polygamy. That's when the Relief Society was founded. The women held the Great Indignation Meeting and spoke out in defense of their rights. The whole meeting is focused on what they had already suffered. They're defending their community more than they're defending polygamy in that meeting and going forward. Most of the women that spoke on that weren't even living in polygamy. I think only one or two women were. And so so as soon as you start putting pressure on, then all of a sudden they're defensive of their community because they're feeling under attack. And that really galvanizes a community like the best. Anyway, there's a lot more to this. I have some episodes on it, so I don't want to go into it too much. I'm just talking about the influences on the women. And I am very, very hesitant to call these women to say they were lying. I absolutely will not say that at all, because I bore sincere testimony of polygamy 15 years ago. I thoroughly believed in it. And if I bore testimony of it, I wasn't lying. I was just naive and ignorant. You also didn't say you practiced it, right? Like... These women oh, I did. Think these, no, these women absolutely practiced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, Mrs. Stone, c- can I ask a question? Yes, okay. not. Um, so, <laughs> you're, we don't have three hours. We've got like I another know. another 10 minutes, let's just say five to 10 minutes. I want to round the corner here. Obviously, your historical knowledge is vast and anybody that wants to know more about this, we'd recommend we could check out your podcast, 132 problems. Okay. If they want to know more, but where, if, if, if you could effectively, I'm not saying that your suppositions are correct because I don't feel even knowledgeable enough to make that judgment quite yet. There's some things I look at side eyes where I'd want to know more, but let's just say we gave you the benefit of the doubt for the sake of argument that your, 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 your science was solid. Your inquiry was correct. And, and everything you said was right. Well, where did we go wrong in the modern day with polygamy? Then if you've shown and you're saying that, okay, well, the ancient stuff was bad. Where did we go wrong in the modern stuff? And how did that get through the cracks? If God never, ever really wanted it how did it become so successfully widespread and successful at least in terms of numbers and members and babies you know where did we go wrong in the modern day you said where we went wrong in ancient times where'd we go wrong in the modern day okay so let me just let me throw a couple things in here really fast that we needed to cover so first of all the idea that polygamy is about having children is deeply deeply flawed polygamist wives had fewer children than monogamist wives and Hmm. there was a vast shortage of women so during the great where where are you getting um, the demographic data for that what where are you getting the demographic data for that well so so i did an episode well i just i i can throw you to some 
things, you know, but the even fair says that during the Great Reformation, when polygamy was like massively pushed along with blood atonement and other things, um, the average age of marriage went to 16 in Utah. Was it 16, 17? I think it was in between 16 and 17, which means that for any 20 year olds getting married, there was a 13 year old getting married. There was a short you can find journals and diaries everywhere that they couldn't find wives that they were being commanded to take to take extra wives. So so. And then, and then these men, like in 1852, which is where Section 132 was revealed, which is when the church finally admitted that they were practicing polygamy. Okay, that it was practicing polygamy, and they revealed Section 132. In that exact same conference, they sent dozens and dozens of missionaries out. So what was happening is that these men had multiple wives, one or multiple wives, with children. They were told to not think about their wives at all. So they left for, it said that no missionary should expect to be gone for more than five to seven years. And those were called short missions. So they left these women at home alone with no support in frontier Utah. We think that single motherhood is hard now. Imagine doing it, trying to build yourself a log cabin and farm some vegetables to keep your family alive. There was mass starvation happening. I have a great, great, great grandmother that died of starvation in a dugout in Lehigh, subsisting on dandelion greens. It was a dark, dark time. There was also famine happening. But so these missionaries would, I mean, these men would leave. Also the women were living like who knows where spread out. So polygamist women lost years of potential children. Because there, they were. There was one husband, and they were trying to raise their children alone. Like it wasn't a good system, right? So it didn't actually increase the number of children. And if you look at, we get the idea that it was about children from from Jacob two, but if you actually read Jacob two and include verse thirty in context. God tells us in verse 25 what he means by raise up seed. He says, I have brought you forth out of the land of Jerusalem so that I can raise up a righteous branch unto me. It's also, Lehi is also told the same thing. God is trying to raise up a covenant branch of people who won't do abominations like polygamy. So it's not even about the numbers. It's about a covenant people. I, I just, can, I feel like you're justifying a spiritual belief with data, which let, is, it, it's okay, but I've, I've seen data to contradict what you're saying, which is that while it's true that polygamous wives had fewer children on average than women who are singly married, they had enough kids between wives that it did still increase the population. So that's the numbers I've seen. But like we we uh, so so I think you can argue it one way or the other. The fact is there wasn't a surplus of women. So. You know, so if we well, wanted, no, yeah, but isn't yeah there wasn't a surplus of women because that isn't that indeed the nature of polygamy, that you would maximize childbirth by keeping all of the women busy uh, birthing children. It sounds it sounds brutal when 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 put into strictly reproductive terms. But if you think about it as a system to save a population, like if if the world's population were to collapse due to some alien invasion and disease and the United Nations had to get together and say, we really only have 100,000 humans on Earth left. And if we don't reach a population of 150,000 in the next X, Y or Z years, then uh, our society will literally die on this vine we call Earth. That means all these women have to be busy doing this. Like if you think about it in those brutal science fiction terms then yeah, you would maximize the amount. There would be no single women around, right? So so that would only be the case if, so, oh, there are so many 
things that I wish we could get to, like Isaiah 4, verse 1, because that if, if we had this apocalyptic world, it would only work if, if all the survivors were women and all we had were men to basically go be drones and breeders. If you had if you had as many men as women, there is no advantage to having one man have multiple wives, especially when travel... No, but so many men were killed due to the persecution, the wars. I mean, at Hans Mill Massacre, how many men died versus how many women died? Now, I get that's a small population. I think it was like, what, like 13 deaths at Hans Mill Massacre or whatever, but they were all okay. men. I mean, 99% of military deaths, men, so you know, 99, making, or like, what is it? 80% of suicides, Cardin, men, but, you know, in, in the end. Here. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I, I think I'm going to agree with you that by the time that people were immigrating into Utah, the immigration, there were actually more women immigrating into Utah than men. Oh, and by that, the way, I'm not here to say that polygamy didn't wear out its welcome and go far beyond its inspired origins, if you believe it is inspired. By people that were justifying, and, and some there were absolutely people who practiced it poorly. I, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, there. and by the way, once the prophet gets rid of it, and, and you say, "Oh no, we're not gonna," well, now now you're clashing with modern revelation. Like so, so I'm not here to defend every polygamist or the institution well, of polygamy or so on and so forth. I, I'm let just, me respond to one thing you said. Can I? Yeah, hit it. There, there are a million things again, but just really quickly, one thing, if we want to talk about, say, widows, like men being killed in war and we have all of these widows, right? So, first of all, I don't think that that was actually um, the, the case in early Utah, but um, it was the case in the Book of Mormon. We had the people of, I want to say, Zenith. Right. That um, that um, the they tried three times to break free from their Lamanite captors if you recall, until almost all of the men were dead and they humbled themselves to the earth. So that was a society of widows. And Zenith talks about how they needed to take care of the widows. What he didn't do was tell all the, was tell all the widows to marry men in order to be provided for. Jesus tells us to provide for the widows. Never the does that yeah. include, it's basically prostitution if you say, hey, I'll provide for widows as long as she marries me. That's that's not taking care of widows and orphans. That's so I guess... Uh, back to Jacob two uh, two thirty, do you just believe that there's never been a time that God has commanded polygamy? Absolutely. So if you read Jacob two thirty, God very clearly gives the reason that He forbids and condemns polygamy, and it's because he of delights what it in the does chastity of women, women. Yeah, it's because of it. Just it because it. It, it just is brutal on it, it it god in jacob 2 30 in jacob chapter 2 particularly shows how much he cares about yeah. his daughters so, and their experiences so, so anybody watching should if they're going to go read jacob 2 30 also read the rest of the no, chapter yeah right? don't read uh, yeah, just verse exactly make sure if you're getting you, it in you, the context i agree that's Verse, verse, we actually change the wording and say that it says nevertheless or but when it doesn't, it says for and verse 31 continues on and says, for I have heard the mourning of my daughters and in, in, in the land of Jerusalem and the whole rest of it continues on explaining why God forbids polygamy. So if we want to interpret it this way, we're all of a sudden saying, oh, all of a sudden, if God wants a lot of children born, he doesn't care about his daughters anymore. He no longer cares about their experiences. Mm. I, I don't think that that's the way that it changes. I think we disagree on that interpretation. But you would, I think, I, I think you would have to because because there's no other way to interpret it, and that was the experience of women universally in polygamy. Women have a horrible experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in for like the first time in an hour. Um, <laughs> so I uh, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I'm actually on, on the side of Julie. I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Okay. 
So, Michelle. Julie, Michelle, sorry, you're all, you and Julie are just both so attractive. It's like hard to, you know, yeah. Julie Hanks and Michelle Stone. We both. don't know which Pragma we're talking to. No, it's not. I'm totally just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, as if she's a Pragma. No, no, I, uh, no, I, actually, I said Julie actually because I'm friends with um, Aubrey and Spencer Rowe, mm. um, and and they're this, the the kids of Julie Rowe who did who's talked about like she had you know the Chad Daybell and all that stuff. But when I was talking to Spencer Rowe, he brought up. Something you just brought up, which is why I said Julie. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so he it. he brought up the fact that there Let's actually just clarify, was. I am not Julie Rowe. No, I know, I know, I know it all. No, I know it all. I know I'm friends with her kids. And, yeah, I and, and Provo. You. Okay, go ahead. So, but um, I uh, I actually learned about the early starvation in Utah, and it was really really bad. And one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people take big issue with Brigham Young, and there's a growing Brigham Young was not actually a prophet, he was a false prophet in the, you know, uh, that that school of thought, is because he was living in a mansion and everyone else was starving. And, 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 and there was a, there was a little bit of um, kind of jarring realization that he was chilling. He was living nice, and a lot of members of the church and a lot of people in Deseret had no food, and they were dying left and right. So okay, that was is that a, a consequence of leadership negligence or of also natural consequences of not having the communication and logistical connections? Because there's beautiful stories at the same time of Brigham Young sending out wagon trains of food to try and save saints that he was aware of in their plight, right? So again, I just don't want to do this presentist argument where it's like, well, why didn't he just call for help yeah. when it's like... And also, obviously, not everyone died. Like, it, the way that you guys no, are yeah, talking about it sounds a whole lot like everyone died and it was horrible and no one could make... No, no. Look at Utah. I have family from Poland. You, I mean, and, and Ukraine. You want to talk the whole more? Like, I just... No, no, me, but it's what, like, what I'm well, saying Well, in the 1840s, is... it was bleak. Human history well, has been bleak. But what I'm saying is the people that are... Coming, you know, from that perspective, it's it's not necessarily coming out of a place of like darkness. There is a historical. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah it yeah. did happen. No, um, okay, no, I totally so here. Agree. So I have an upcoming episode coming up on Zion versus polygamy, and it is true. Brigham Young had multiple mansions. If if you don't know about the Gardo House, I recommend looking at the Gardo House in addition to the Beehive House and the Lion House and the St. George Mansion, the Country House that was on like 29th South or something, 23rd South. Like you can look into this. It's really interesting. He had multiple mansions. And I would recommend Rob Fotheringham did a really good episode on To the Rescue, just to the story that Cardin was referencing of Brigham Young going to the rescue. There's a lot, there's a lot to learn there. But the thing that's interesting is throughout the Book of Mormon, every single time that polygamy is practiced, it is universally condemned. And it always goes hand in hand with a burden being placed on the people to provide for the king or whatever we want to call the theocratic leader and his wives and concubines. It happened with King Noah and his priests. It happened with Riplakish in um, the Book of Ether. It universally all goes together. It becomes, it, it's the same story. It's the exact same thing that happened in early Utah. Okay, so I'm not gonna argue with you because I have a feeling you'd beat me. <laughs> and you'd kill me with kindness. And I could not refute what you said because you would outspar me with your knowledge and your just niceness and that big giant <laughs> smile. So let's just assume that everything you say is right. I, I don't, I, I'm not completely sold 
on the whole, just because he had big houses, he was a bad guy. Because sometimes people try and say, why does the church have tem- temples if there's people starving in the world? Yeah, well, because people made great sacrifices in Nauvoo to build that temple because they wanted to, in spite of their poverty, grind the few bits of china that they had left to mix with the mourner so it could shine. But, so Carden. No Hold on. Just... I'm just saying what a counterpoint is. I want to move and, and push the conversation forward, which is my job as a host in the last two minutes that we have. Okay. So time's running down here. We're going to have to jam. What do we do with all of this newfound glory? You've already said that you're not here to start your own faith because everybody else so far that's been condemning Brigham Young and making these historical arguments and saying like, oh, polygamy was really not practiced by Joseph Smith and so far and so forth, so, so far and so forth, has ended up being either uh, a prophet of a new movement, uh, a, a, a charismatic leader of a new offshoot or whatever. What's your call to action? What do people do once they've ingested this data that you suggest um, Michelle. Okay. Okay. So first of all, I want to say the the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I felt strongly inspired to and told to in a very difficult time in my life. And God told me to do this. So that's why I'm doing it. So I don't necessarily have an agenda other than to be obedient to what I feel God is telling me to do. But I guess what I hope, um, I think that the purpose of the gospel is to help us to come to know God, right? Mm -hmm. We need to become more like God and to come to know God and to have like even the lectures on faith say that we can't worship God that we don't know. And it's important for us to know who God is and to know how God interacts with his children. And we can't know the eternal destiny of man if we don't also know the eternal destiny of woman. And for woman to know whether her eternal destiny is to be a silent, invisible part of a harem or to be a goddess in as a, standing side by side with, with a god is a really different trajectory, right? And so I think that for us to understand who God is and the nature of God, we have to stop making false accusations of God. We have to stop believing that God did things that God never did. We have to stop attributing the mistakes or the errors of man to God. And that helps us come to know know God better. I think we have to stop blaming the priesthood ban on God. We have to, like— as a church, we have already completely rejected blood atonement. We've rejected, for the most part, Adam God theory, and we've rejected um, the the priesthood ban and all of the ideas that inspired that. Some people still think that God did it, but even the even the church essays say basically that it was due to racism, you know, among early church leaders. So I guess I think it hasn't hurt the church to get rid of all of those false traditions. It has helped the church. I think that the Book of Mormon constantly tells us that we need to shake away our sandy foundations. We need to have the scales of darkness fall from our eyes. We need to get rid of our false traditions. So the more that we can continue to hold on to these false traditions, the more we block ourselves from receiving more light and knowledge, more truth. So I think it I guess I guess my hope would be that each of us takes our privilege to have connection to God for ourselves to study to actually study the Book of Mormon and actually see what it says and believe what it says mm-hmm. rather than instead holding to our false traditions. That would be my hope. And I think that will move us forward as a people more than just about anything could. I have one final question for you with this. Um, Watch out, Michelle. It's coming. uh, Now, I think I know the answer and I think I am happy with the answer personally. But um, I want to ask you. So in your studies, um, 
has this study into polygamy and everything that you've been looking into, has it led you to, uh, do you still believe in the concept of eternal families? So I do an episode on that and it actually isn't my study in polygamy that has, um, affected my, my belief in eternal families. Mm -hmm. I think, so for me, section 132 has beautiful, profound things. I share, I share my thoughts on 132 in a, in one, in a, episode that I do. And I believe that there is beautiful, there are beautiful things about the exaltation of a couple as a couple. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think that, um, so this is a big question to ask at the last, at the end. No, for real. It's the crux though. Cause every single time that this ends up being a subject of discussion, it gets lost. It's lost for the RLDS. It's lost for Every eternal person family. I've ever spoken to. Yeah, so, the eternal so, families are gone. So I, I wanted to know what it you, seems like you can't doctrinally throw out the baby, uh, the bathwater without throwing out the baby of eternal families. Yeah. And so that's um, why so, I'm curious. So uh, and I hate to I, I, like I'm, I guess I'm asking people, please go watch the episode that I do on what about eternal marriage, yeah. because I can go into that more in depth. I will say that it's not my what actually affected me there is that um, I lost a child in 2020. And I lost another child in 2021 and I was struggling with the church in that period. Mm-hmm. And when people <clears throat> would say things to me like, you better be careful because you have a little girl waiting for you. When people would sort of manipulate me with my daughter, who, who I have seen, who has come to me, who I know is mine eternally, not based on someone else's say so. That's what made me start questioning because I started to feel like we know you you talk to parents who have either had stillborns or who have lost children and have had experiences with them. They know that they're theirs. I don't need somebody's permission. So I don't know that the church has exclusive authority to determine who doesn't like like I am a highly um, it was incredibly hurtful to have people imply to me that if I didn't go along with getting shots or wearing masks or whatever it was that I People wouldn't really have access that? to my children. That Well, that's what I was speaking out against at the time because of oh, how it man. affected me personally. Mm-hmm. And so that, because I was, you know, not following the prophet in that. Oh, so so, so my feeling on eternal that. families yeah. is not based on my study of polygamy. It's based on my personal experience and seeing how truly cruel that idea can be that we somehow have authority over all people to say whether or not they can have their children again i mean uh, so to be fair it sounds like anybody who said things like that to you was 100 percent in unrighteous dominion territory that's just blatantly wrong that they would say things like that happens a lot parent to parent let's talk i held my daughter when she stopped breathing in children's hospital of los angeles I mean, you you want to talk about staring into the abyss of the eternities and having an understanding of God much deeper than you did three seconds before. I 100% understand where you're coming from. At the same token, if you want to say, oh, I know more about my eternal relationship with my kids because I've had to actually have those eternal considerations due to a death that preceded my own. And I've had to do the most unnatural grief that a parent ever has to go through saying goodbye to their own children. I get that's taught you more, but at the same token, what taught you that that was God. 
And inherently, if you believe in that God and that he has interactions with man, that he's not just some capricious God that floats about like Poseidon with a trident and that he's actually intimately aware of even the finite dealings of our lives and that the church is the vehicle through which that he actually gives uh, those tender mercies when they come, there inherently has to come with it a belief in that modern revelation and if section 132 of the doctrine and covenants is part of that modern revelation if we talk about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater i think it's wholly possible that you have a deep belief that you will see your daughter again because i think you will because i think you live a righteous life and i'm sure that your daughter is exalted because she died before the age of eight and she's probably amazing and beautiful and i believe families are eternal and everything at the same token because you're able to have that experience without the church in spite of a church member being cruel i don't think that negates that doctrine of eternal families or the modern revelation of the eternal families if anything it empowers it because you experienced it firsthand am i wrong um so so again it's a lot it's a lot to go into i think yeah. that i now um I get a little bit nervous when we start to claim that we have special power, that that God is going to keep mothers and children apart if they don't. Um, I, I mean, this is this is putting it in pragmo terms, and I don't mean to, but you know, like if you didn't drink coffee and you don't give us enough of your income, you don't get your children. Well, I, 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 I that gets wanna... a little messy for me. I get that. But see, when I hear that, though, and, and this is where I get in debates with anti-Mormons and ex-Mormons is to me that that's just I've never, ever, ever heard that. I think Brad would agree that but that's a gross, you, a gross misrepresentation. Well, hold on. Hold on. I get okay. you may have heard it and I get there's some. OK, or maybe a lot of them in. It was said in general conference, not in those exact terms, but I turned okay. off general conference the year last year because of something that was said in the women's session that implied that same thing. Okay. I would want to see that quote and I would want to know more because I would be dubious that the implication was that because a mother drank coffee, she's not going to see no. her kid. I, no, as to me, that's a gross represent misrepresentation. Uh, and, and a fallacious representation by people that hate us to think that anybody within the spiritual know with power in our church actually said that. And if they have, just as Brad said, they're they're actually exercising the very unrighteous dominion that the scriptures that tell us about eternal families condemn. And I, I don't know if this is possible, but if you could maybe try writing that person and ask them if that's what they intended, because well, I, well, I, I feel like the way the, the way that you're talking about this makes me feel like almost the way the doctrine of the internal family is being flipped on its head. It's not that the church is holding your family hostage, that you have to follow what the church says. Otherwise, you can't be with your family forever. Right. That, that's not the way I view it, at least. The way that I view the doctrine of the eternal families is that we have to live righteously in order to be able to bring our families into an eternal relationship, right? It's not, it's just the nature of the way that the world is. 
that we it's easier for us to be separated and taken apart from each oh, other. Oh, yeah. And also, by the way, I mean, you're within a freaking year or two of losing two of your children. I'm sorry. For the next decade, you're allowed to make whatever uh, you could you, you, any coping mechanism you want to overcome that. One hundred percent. I'm sorry. Like, and if some bonehead. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say. <laughs> Anymore, yeah, that's like that. But if some, you know, bonehead and there's plenty of them in your hometown. All right. One, there, there's so many Mormons that grow up in these wealthy suburbs that have never actually had any real problems or had to get into the nitty gritty of life. So they all of a sudden convert their faith into some kind of baseball game about, hey, well, you want to see the rest of your team on the other side of the eternities, right? Well, you better big on the roster, you know, like and if that, that is wrong. Yeah, it, I, that's not the way it they, is. They can be guilty of gross insensitivity. And, uh, and it sounds like people have presented it that yes. way to you. And it, that's so, not the way that I understand it, at least. So I'm I'm really sorry that that hasn't ex- been an experience you've had to go through. And I actually really appreciate you, um, you both bring it around there because I am really uncomfortable ending on this topic because people use it against me to say that I'm, you, you know, because I no, am. No. Let's go burn their house like, down. Give me their address. I'm struggling through <laughs> uh, this, but I, I guess this is kind of, where I am, I, I am a strong, strong believer in eternal families. I, I um, have had profound ex- um, experiences with my girls. I, I know who they are. I've seen them. I, you know, I have had profound experiences with them. I know that they are mine. What I'm not certain of, I guess, because I read the scriptures and there's nothing about eternal families anywhere in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You, you just I think we have to twist Malachi to be interpreted that way, that it's not intended to be that way? Well, I guess this is what I think. I don't I don't know that God is in the business of separating families. Like, I, I don't I, know that we can claim exclusive. I, that, that's what I'm still questioning. I agree still, with you. I, I don't think that that is, has ever been the claim, is that God is going to separate families. I, I think by nature, families are not linked the same way as they can be with the sealing power of Elijah. What's bound on earth yeah. is bound in heaven, right? Well, but also, I feel like that's, I was just going to say, I feel like that's adopting the language of our oppressors and accusers from the pop culture around us. Like, we don't realize just how much Gothic Catholicism in literature and film and radio, all the way up till the Romantic era, has informed the average American's perception of the eternities. Like, we still think hell looks like Dante's Inferno Mm -hmm. based upon the apocalypse of Peter that was popularized by writings in the 1700s and 1800s after the invention of the printing press. I mean, we're only 200 years out from major literature works like Frankenstein, and that's less than 200 years, but like we don't realize how much our modern conception of our religion in the eternities is influenced by our pop, pop culture. And that pop culture was very dark. It was really dark. Like what Mary Shelley lived through before she wrote Frankenstein Mm -hmm. was super dark. And if these are the literary works and the points of view that are informing our positions on what our families will look like in the eternities, I think we're really screwed. And one of the best things we can do is develop our own spiritual relationships with God in order to filter that pop culture out of our system and disabuse us of bad narratives. Because one thing I want to say is... I'm I'm glad that you're where you're at with your understanding of eternal families, that they are together. Yeah, you're amazing. They, that's awesome. That's that's incredible because I always hear it that eternal families just aren't a thing. 
and that they don't um, really matter. You know, that's that's what ends up happening when people so, reject Doctrine and Covenants 132. So I think this is how I would sum it up. Yeah. Again, I think it's so easy to take like like Malachi, for example, to take ideas distill them down till they're massively oversimplified and then claim we know and understand things. I think we think we know and understand a whole lot more than we know and understand. You know, yeah, like I can I can be like, down with that. Yeah. People told me I, I mean people see, okay, I do have an episode on this. I will say this really fast. I know we're ending, but Mormons, we are the only ones that have our unique baptismal covenants to mourn with those that mourn. And comfort those that sound to me. Those are unique to us. And I would say that we are among the worst at it. We're really, really bad at it. You don't go to a mom who just lost her child and say, aren't you so glad that you get to raise them in the millennium and that they don't have to live in this world? You don't do that. And we do that all the time. And it's wrong. It's the wrong thing to do. I have an episode on that for anyone who wants more insight there. But... Um, so, so we have all of these ideas of, oh, it's fine because you'll get to raise them in the millennium. Well, you know what? I had a two-year-old who lost his little sister, a seven-year-old who lost her only little sister. I, like I was mourning, helping my children get through that. So, you know, I don't just want to go to heaven and have a baby. I want my family here. I want my children to grow up with their little sisters. Like we, we claim to have this all figured out in our minds and we don't so what's best to do is to just have some humility and go you know we really don't understand very much but through our own experiences with god we can understand the connection to our loved ones we just might not know exactly what that means or what it's going to look like that's the best i've got right now mm -hmm. but i'm not claiming to fight against anything i'm just working through my understanding the best i can yeah no uh, thank you for answering the question and i'm sorry if it was sensitive yeah and no yeah i, I really got, appreciate we gotta get you better it, we gotta get you better friends and neighbors like i'm sorry for real I, your I, your I, ward I, experience was so much different than mine i literally had a guy in my ward show up i swear he's got more money than god all right big investment baker and he shows up and he says if you need to quit your job i'll give you 150 grand right now just so you can live with your family in the hospital like ugh. That's I, I mean, uh, who does that? I mean, they did a GoFundMe so that we could hire a private nurse. Like there was members of my ward that were offering to like go and clean my house while I was gone. Like, oh, I can barely keep it together while I talk about what freaking my ward did for me. I had nobody come up to me. And obviously this person trying to say, oh, aren't you glad you can raise your kids in the attorneys? OK, I, I get that's a really sophomoreish way of trying to, I don't know, lighten the situation and, and put a positive spin on a horrible thing that felt really flat on its face. And we'll give this person grace and hope that they ha were well-intentioned with extremely poor delivery, okay? That Because that's the best this situation gets, it seems. But at the same token, I can't hear that story and not think... That's that that's not the same church. I we got to get you a better way. Come move in with us. You can bring your lovely paintings. And my wife likes Himalayan sea salt as well. So you can bring your Himalayan sea salt statue with you. And apparently you bake cookies. So let, let you know, me say this, Carden. Uh -huh. I live in the heart of the heart of the heart of Mormonism. And of Utah. You, know, you live in the heart we, and the heart and the heart of Utah suburbia. That's not Mormonism. But this is the point I want to make that, again, the problem is thinking we know more than we know. We think we have all of the answers. Yeah. And arrogance so that comes from. We're uncomfortable yeah. with grief because 
there should be no grief because we've got all the answers, right? And so I think that we just, you know, the Book of Mormon warns us of it a lot, that we just have a little too much or a lot too much institutional pride. We're the one true church. We're the ones with the gospel. We're the ones with all the answers. We're the ones that, you know, it's a problem. We're, we're on the same page. I was going to say, I, I'm 100% on board with you. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that by living the laws of God, that it's an insurance policy against things going wrong. And if you want to talk about institutional arrogance, I 100% am there with you. I would ask the age and generational demographic of the person that said this, but we already know where it is and where that's going. We don't want to, <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want to <laughs> dig up old bones. No, well, just just let me say, I've done my best to do a lot of educating. There are amazing, wonderful people who have been incredible. Um, I would say they didn't get that training from their church experiences. They did that on their own because pretty universally, like, like, you know, I had one woman that said to me two separate times, Oh, this is so great because now you I'm, well. Basically, she just said, oh, "Oh, now you have more time to spend with your other children." Basically, accusing me of so many different things all at once. And oh, so, man. you know, like like I have a list a mile long. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good experience. So, but but there were also beautiful things. Just I think that we as members of the church that are the ones that have the unique baptismal covenants, nobody else even has those. Like, instead of sitting and talking about how chosen we are, let's do some lessons teaching our members how, how to actually live our baptismal covenants, how to grieve with others, how to make room, how to walk through with others through the impossible things instead of doing what we do, which is not doing it well. Oof. Sorry, that was that got heavy. Back no. to polygamy. This is why I focused on things that are <laughs> no, no, no. Just, no, it's okay. Just, it's good. Well, we gotta go right now, unfortunately. But I, I just I, I, the only reason why I'm speechless is like I just I just think you're such a beautiful person. It it sucks to have your soul and your spirit crafted by such difficult things, but it's it's yielded. You're just beautiful, and 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 physically and spiritually, you're you're kind. You you've obviously had trials in your life that I, I I having been through what I went through in the children's hospital, I, I can't even imagine what, what, what you've gone through and that, and that's hard to believe, but instead of making your soul cankerous and resentful and angry, um, you're, you're channeling that towards study and relationship with God and your family. And it's, it's yielding this beautiful thing. I don't want to make some really crappy, smooth rock analogy, Okay, but it's the only one that comes to my mind. Like it's it's polishing you into a lovely person, and um, I'm just grateful that I got to have this experience and this conversation mm -hmm. with you. Um, and, and yeah, and, get better neighbors, girlfriend. <laughs> like, and I just I just want to add to that. I I really appreciate how much you take uh, the responsibility of receiving revelation for yourself seriously. I feel like that is a thing that people don't do well enough. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, in the church that uh, kind of arrogance of assuming like, hey, yeah, no, I'm good. And uh, the assumption that holding to the rod somehow means just like kind of reading your scriptures daily, but not like directly receiving revelation from God. You know, I, I feel like we underplay that power. Um, I, I mean, there's obviously imperfection in those people, yeah. but I, I just appreciate how much you're taking that seriously and um, how much you're focusing on the Lord in this. 
Okay, so unfortunately, we got to go. Andrew Tate just showed up, and he's our six o'clock <laughs> interview. He's the only one that really has all the answers, and so we oh got to interview Garden. him. You know, look, you know, you don't even know who Andrew Tate is, and that probably makes you a much more beautiful person. I do. Well, I do because I have daughters. So. Yeah, she has the kids, man. She has kids. To yeah, know. <laughs> she's cool. She goes clubbing with her daughters. Did you meet Andrew Tate when he was there? No, I'm just kidding. So, anyway. <laughs> all right, we have got to go, but Michelle. How can people find you? Uh, the podcast is 132 Problems on YouTube, right? Uh-huh. Yep. I think it's also my my son's kind of my producer. He's getting it up on all the other podcast places. But right now it's on YouTube. Yep. Dude, is awesome. this wow. Is this another like prodigious, like this is your 11-year-old son who's like just doing this producer <laughs> level job? Yeah, is he going to be a Bonneville communication guys when he's 16 like Mozart or what? <laughs> He's actually a prodigy who's 23. He's, hey, he's still, starting Macbeth at When did you start? When you were right like now. freaking oh, 17? Awesome. What? Jeez. Congrats to him. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Oof. we're Audi. This is crazy. I need a rest. This is Midnight Mormon. See you guys in the next program. Okay, Thank stay you, on Michelle. for a second. Thank you for sharing that with us. I know that's heavy stuff yeah. to talk about and to get through, especially when we're in a space where it's like, we may not entirely agree on these things and now we have to talk about them and like, oh no, where's it going? <laughs> so I really appreciate your willingness to share with us and to be just authentically real with us in your experiences and helping us understand not just, I think, uh, the importance of taking a closer look at our own doctrine, but also um, how to communicate with others about, about it in a way that doesn't get contentious because that doesn't help anybody, you know? So I really, really appreciate you and the time that you've taken to talk to us today. My, my mind's blown. This is a, my mind is blown. I learned a lot. <laughs> a lot. You just know a lot of things. Like, yes. Just, like, and it's so clear that you've studied your history too, which is awesome because the thing that I'm seeing with like the some of the doctrine of Christ people who are showing up is like they are committed to misinterpretations of certain scriptures. Yeah, and I'm I like, agree with that. No. Oh, dear. We just lost a light. But um, <laughs> they're they're committed to misinterpretations of certain scriptures where you're, you're bringing up really good points um, as you're talking about, like, um, the way that Isaac didn't practice polygamy, you know? Um, we talk about it as a patriarch thing, but really he wasn't directly involved in that in a way that we have records of. Right. And so mm -hmm. um, I yeah, I, I think that it's really cool to see what you have. I, I'm definitely going to be looking into your podcast and things there because I, I think the thing that I want to get most across to people is that women's eternal destiny is to become go priestesses and goddesses. Right. One hundred percent. Like my, my wife and I are 100% partners on things like there's there's no um, patriarch and and like wife below. Right. We are equally yoked. And I think that's the way it's intended to be. I think there's a ton yeah. of cultural stuff from like the 50s left over in the church that like ends well, up from the from the 1850s. Like this, like it goes back because because we have a completely different religion and, and really. And maybe some of it's from there, too. Um, but I think that this these cultural holdovers that you're kind of that you're identifying here, they're not the mm -hmm. ideal. They're not the eternal right. ideal. So I, I really appreciate that that's 
one of the things that you're focused on too is helping women realize their eternal destiny is not to be silent in the background. That should never be the way it is. Right. We're yeah. On, we're 100% I, on the you. same page there. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay. And I'm sorry we yeah. didn't get to get more of that into the episode. It's it's easy to get stuck on the things that we don't agree I know, on, I you know. know. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. Look, you're a filthy progmo, and we're freaking debunking all of your claims. I'm just kidding. I'm totally just kidding with you. I don't even know what was said, and I hope I didn't just take a crap all over something that was like beautiful and spiritual. No, you're good. No, you're fantastic. You know no okay. All right. Yep. Well, we got to go. Um, we miss you right, already. Thanks, we want to do this with you again, maybe possibly more in length or or whatever. But yeah. you, you did wonderfully well. You're great. You're yeah, we lovely. should absolutely talk more. Yeah, uh, because you strike me right. as like a sincere seeker of truth, right? You're actually oh, yeah. Yeah. going through the the hard work of asking, seeking, and knocking. You know, you're not just like, oh, you know what, that Brigham Young's bad, and now I'm gonna go what? find where in the scriptures I can say he is. You know, it's like, yeah, I I really appreciate your attitude. Yeah, Thank dude, you. and Thanks then just screw your ward, moving to our ward. I, my real. kids need kids to play with, and oh, and daughters to date, dude. Like your freaking kids are probably all gorgeous. You got to have one my son's age. You know what I'm saying? I don't want I some do bad gene pool. They're all old people in my ward because California is so expensive now. Everybody's kids have moved away, and nobody's having children anymore. So you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, let's improve the gene pool here. I know. I'd be going against traffic. All of you, all of California has moved into my town. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, true. Exactly, really recently dude, too, it's, eh? It's crazy. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. You are lovely, yeah, Michelle. It's been a, it's been a, a joy. Hey guys, Cardinal is here. Thanks for watching our show. Uh, before you go to our next video, I want to take care of a couple of things. First, could you please make sure that you are subscribed to this channel? And before you move on, if you're already subscribed, please make sure that you've also clicked on the bell icon next to the subscribe button so you are, quote, notified of all of our postings. If you don't click on that bell, you may only see an occasional upload of ours. Also, if you could please share this with a friend, with a family member, with a coworker, all you have to simply do is press that share button and then SMS text it or email the link to one of your friends and say, hey, I thought this was funny. What did you think? And it's going to help our channel grow even that much more. If you have yet to press that like button, please smash the like button. Thank you for participating in our channel. We'll see you in the next program.